You're listening to Once, episode 311, Beauty. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Up. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. <laughs> I'm Aaron. <laughs> Subscribe if you're not already over at OncePodcast.com. Yes, this was really like Once Upon a Time in South America, Once Upon a Time in Up, or Once Upon a Time Up in Hyperion Heights. No, actually, the Up stuff wasn't in Hyperion Heights. It was in mm. the edge of realms it's the edge of realms yes which, which is, is in and of itself a realm but it's the, the edge most of all realms edge most yeah it's like where all the dark matter in the universe of fairy fairy tale lands is stored so the realms are flat not circular that's a theological argument <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen pixar's movie up you need to see it now, if you've seen it, then you know exactly why you need to see it. But then maybe go say it again because it's such a wonderful Pixar movie. Pixar makes great movies. And so much of this episode was just like stuff from Up that you would see the clear connections throughout this episode if you watch Up and then watch this episode. But nonetheless, it's still a good episode. In fact, I would say best episode of the season. Yes. Which, I mean, so far, this is only the fourth episode, so I know we right. don't have all that much to go on. There weren't enough balloons for it to be up. <laughs> True. I haven't seen up. What? What? She hasn't seen up. She hasn't seen Star Wars. Have you seen anything? In fact, if you watch up, you'll probably not finish it. Why? Because you haven't finished Lost. Oh, because Lost got silly. You... Is that silly or tilly? <laughs> <laughs> speaking of fun. once upon a time <laughs> hey you're the one who totally didn't even say once upon a time in the opener <laughs> we got some great feedback from our audience generally a lot of people are liking this episode even though according to some ratings this was the lowest rated episode of all episodes well, in the entire series but that reflects more on episodes well rated how because viewership yeah, that reflects on previous episodes, not right. this episode. Who knew? They didn't watch it. Yeah, and that's not to say it's the lowest rated as in people out there saying, oh, yeah, I'd give this episode five stars, four right. stars, anything like that. Like you can do with our podcast, by the way. But it's <laughs> saying how many people were watching according to some very archaic measurement techniques that we can debate <laughs> that in a separate thing. But nonetheless, I want to sample some of the feedback we received from Marcy Smith said, after seeing this episode, I felt I had to write in because it was just so good. I was on team Let It Die after last season <laughs> and wasn't planning on watching the reboot, but I have. I really loved seeing Rumple and Belle's story play out. I loved that Rumple was finally happy without magic, that he, Belle, and Gideon lived a full life together, and that the concept of letting his true love go was the first step in being able to free himself from the dagger forever. I cried, and finally, Rumple is awake. Thank you, once writers, for not dragging it out forever. I'm also really liking Alice's personality. The actress is doing a great job. Was she ever in Doctor Who? If not, 
I think she'd make an amazing companion. This episode is my favorite of the season so far. I hope they wrap up a few more stories because it was so satisfying. Debbie said, I love this episode. I feel the show really nailed it with the story of Belle and Rumpel's journey together. The upsetting was wonderful and reminded me how much I loved the beginning of that movie. I like the new series or spinoff and appreciate how the creators have reimagined the stories. I actually like the parallels to the first season. It is a way for fans of the show to connect to the new location and characters. It is hard for many of us to let Snow, Charming, and Emma go. The familiarity of the original show is helpful to make a transition to something different. I believe they got it right. Great job on a wonderful podcast. Thanks for continuing to bring us fans' terrific discussions and information about our beloved show. Lindsay said this episode was a really good episode. I know there was already an Espensode this season, but this one could have been it. The dialogue between Rumbell was so good. Such a good farewell. And by the way, this episode, as much as it felt like an Espensode, which is an episode written by Jane Espenson, some of our favorites, <laughs> this one was written by Dana Horgan and Leah Fong, who okay. have written some other really good episodes together. Yeah. So I would say this is the A team of writers, really. And and this episode nicely, nicely shows that. Keeper of Squid Ink said, <laughs> Beauty reminded me what I miss about the good parts of what Once Upon a Time can be when it has its amazing moments as a show. Much to my pleasant surprise, this was one of the most well-acted, especially Robert Carlyle, Emily DeRaven, and Andrew J. West, well-developed stories and well-executed episodes. It was moving, sad, and still left you wondering what happens to the current characters. And one more piece of general feedback here. Jessica said, I actually really enjoyed this episode, and I'm not usually a Rumbell fan. I love that Rumbell took on the Carl and Ellie story from Up. It was such a beautiful end to their story, like the first 10 minutes of Up. Rumbell even built a house just like the house from Up, and the location even looks like Paradise Falls from Up. Alice kind of reminds me of Russell from Up. It's only a perfect story because Belle was Rumpel's greatest adventure, and now he has to find a new adventure. Alice is going to help Rumpel on his new adventure. I also love this story because in Up, Mr. Fredrickson was forced out of his home by big real estate guys to make huge apartments. This is kind of Victoria's M.O. Thank you for the great feedback. We have some other feedback to share along the way as we're talking as well. Erin, what did you think of the episode overall? I really liked this episode. I liked both parts of it, not just the rumble, rumble parts. I liked the current day. I don't think we've had a Halloween episode yet uh, in this series. Um, I guess it hasn't taken priority. Well, do they have Halloween and <laughs> Storybrook or in? But I really enjoyed it, and I really loved the like symbolism and parallels that they drew between the Alice storyline and Halloween happening, like putting on the masks and all of that stuff. That was really cool. It was just a really smart way that they did that. And I loved the Easter eggs. There were not really Easter eggs, but there were tons of hidden Disney characters dressed throughout the episode, which was awesome. Jeremy, what did you think? It it was, I thought, in so many ways, better done than almost anything in the last several seasons. Wow. The cinematography was better. The soundtrack was really good, although I would also counter that with there was too much soundtrack. I noticed on my rewatch, it's like, why is there music playing through every 
single scene. Let's just let some of the dialogue stand. But that's a complaint I have with a lot of modern shows. I, and in this case, I actually think the dialogue was strong enough that it could have carried the scene. Whereas a lot of them, it's like, yeah, you better put the soundtrack in. Otherwise, people are just not going to know how to feel. So we have a rare moment here. All of the planets, <laughs> and by planets, I mean podcast co-hosts, have aligned. <laughs> and we liked this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's happened before in the past, yes. But for this season, when we've been flipping back and forth of who likes which episode, and we've had a neutral, a dislike, a like, there are certainly some things to pick apart, maybe, in this episode. And we'll dig further into that. But there's just so much to love, so much to cry over. If you watch Up, also be prepared to cry, especially if you're a parent uh, or mm-hmm. you've, you've wanted to be a parent. There's, there are so many things to cry over there. And certainly in this episode, plenty of things to cry over. Well, think about what this episode rests on as a foundation. There's the basic Hyperion Heights curse. One plot line revolved sort of around finding Lucy, who ran off. That's not super complicated. There was kind of, you know, a magical quest of cleaving (laughs) Rumpel from the dagger. But they purposely, I mean, Belle kind of crafted it so that they lived their lives instead of doing that. So there wasn't some, you know, big mechanical plot with a lot of moving technical pieces and people pull in terms out they did finally make one little twist like that at the end you know suddenly rumple's talking about a guardian and going to a time bell didn't even say anything about that but aside from that <laughs> the episode was uncomplicated they could do things like hmm. slow down and show two really cool montages <laughs> really it it was just Yeah, make it about the characters. Calm down on the mechanics. And that's what they did. If they could have done that far more often for the last several years, I think we'd all have just sort of (laughs) enjoyed some of the rides a little bit more. I think that was definitely one of the main things that I heard over and over again from fans that the show was lacking over the last several years. Like, like you just said, like how long was it before we got a good charmings moment after they were reunited? It, it was forever before Emma and snow or sorry, Emma and charming had any type of father daughter conversation. Like, I don't think it was until Neil died, which was like a season after the curse was broken. And it Hmm. was just, that's what the fans have always wanted is more character stuff unless what did you call it mechanical storyline yeah yeah less uh, like machinery like get the ball to fall in the basket to pull the lever that's how a lot of the (laughs) plots developed and i don't think anyone can deny that the reason we've gotten so much positive feedback from this episode and you know why it's going to be a fan favorite is because of of the character stuff and because it was rumbell because like, they're not my favorite couple, but this episode is probably the only Rumbell episode I've ever liked. And it was a beautiful story. And that's coming from someone who doesn't really like them. So Rumbell being the focus of this episode, let's start our conversation there. Or continue, rather, since we've already started. <laughs> and I feel that this, like some of the feedback said, this is the happy ending we've wanted for them. 
we got to see Hook and Emma have their happy beginning. Right. Multiple times, actually. But now they have a different happy beginning coming soon. Little one in the oven. (laughs) And now for Rumpel and Belle, we saw their happy ending. Or almost. It is one of their happy endings. We got to see them live their life together, grow old together, and love each other fully and no more compromise none of this other flip-flopping stuff and mm-hmm. what it also does for me watching the show is now i know rumple in hyperion heights is a victim he's not the bad guy he's not right. the instigator of this he has been hoodwinked like everyone else right and it makes me now a lot more sympathetic with him realizing that this this way he's been has been a mask right and the real the good man the rumple that just wants to it sounds bad to say end his life but it's more like give up immortality because he's lived many many lifetimes so the man wants to give up his immortality so that in this universe he can be reunited with bell right he um yeah now we don't wonder so much well okay is he awake or isn't he and we don't wonder and if he's awake or when he wakes up, what is he? Is he just that gray, not really good, not really bad Mr. Gold Rumpelstiltskin we've always had? But now he actually was a hero or, you know, he was reformed. And he lived essentially another lifetime or a half lifetime since we saw him before. And that he didn't use the dagger at all during that time, not even to build a house. They built it together, doing a nice little up-like montage with the music even yeah. sounding like up. It's not exactly the same, but they it does made sound me very feel close. like a failure at life. <laughs> They're just like, hey, let's build a house right here. Okay. And it's the best house in the world. And they just built it. What? How did they not? How did they know to do that? And by the way, if they can do that just from what's around them, why did they ever live? Like, why did anyone ever live in hovels? Why, why did Rumpelstiltskin not just build a cottage like that? That's a very good point. But maybe he didn't <laughs> learn how to build a house except for the last 300 or so years. He's maybe. memorized the instructions. He YouTubed yes. a lot while he was in Storybrooke. How to build a house. Ikea is really advanced in the Enchanted <laughs> Forest. And he built a lot of theirs. Well, and Belle likes to read. Belle could have read about it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it was also great to see Gideon again. At first, when we saw young little baby Gideon there in Storybrooke turning one year old, <laughs> you know, as long as he gets cake on his face, it's a success. Yeah, we're looking forward to that with Noodle Baby, too. But <laughs> with uh, with Gideon then, when he was a kid running across the bridge, I thought, oh, we just got to see him from the back of the head. You I know. know. Giles McKinney won't be in this episode. But I didn't realize it. I didn't see his name in the credit. Or maybe it's Gillis. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, wait a minute, that sounds like it's a spelled strange. like Giles, but it's probably pronounced Gillis. Is it Giles? It, it, hey, I don't know. Gif, Jif. Let's guy. open up that theological argument too. But uh, then to see the actor, the actual Gideon yeah. that we've known, and not with his haircut that implies that he's working for the Dark One, or the, the <laughs> even darker, the Dark One's mother, actually. <laughs> to see him, the loving son. With his loving parents, he's going off to college, he's pursuing his dreams, he's visiting his parents at the edge of all realms. 
Yeah, well, yeah. And without the burden of everything that he did and everything that happened yeah. and doesn't have to remember any of that stuff. I mean, he was a newborn. <laughs> 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 Essentially. Uh, yeah. Now, that was one of the only things that I didn't like as well. Simply Rumple saying that an eternity there could be like the blink of an eye back in the real world or the other realm. And so my question was, how did Gideon visit at all then? Like, he could he could go there and go back and go there and go back. Like, like turn around and just go back and miss their lives. <laughs> a blink of an eye. I thought that was a little extreme. Maybe he, he was exaggerating. He had to walk toward the cabin following specific coordinates or else he would end up in some other timeline completely. <laughs> <laughs> then the other part of that was Belle knew what she was doing, but Rumple didn't. So why didn't Rumple go by himself and leave Bell back, not aging, waiting for him? And then when he succeeded, he could go join her with no time having passed for her and then live as a mortal. Instead, he waited there while she got really, really, really old and died. <laughs> but and that's what she wanted. That's what she wanted, but yeah. he didn't know that all those years. He thought they were I was like, dude, by the time the sun sets... It's going to be too late to live your life with her. (laughs) But then again, part of his thought here was that it was something about true love when the sun sets. True. And so that seems reasonable that he would think, well, I need to therefore have my true love with me. Maybe we have to share true love's kiss right when the sun is setting. (laughs) Those were just a couple little things, but none of it really matters that much because time works differently there. I guess that does explain the timeline kind not really though yeah the timeline still hurts a little bit because gideon was 18 before they even went there which means 18 years had passed yeah since season six ended how i think they're getting around that rumple said when he suddenly pulled the guardian out of his pocket he said it was time for him to go to the moment that she was waiting for him whether she knew it or not which implies Hmm. a little under the table time travel as well Interesting. But still, I liked seeing, I thought the same thing as you. It was like, I guess they just didn't want to cast an adolescent Gideon for one moment. <laughs> I liked that it was another half cockamamie scheme that didn't work when he dropped the dagger in the water, too. That was a beautiful moment, though. It was. When he gave it up. Because he, he would not have done that in season six. Like, right. that just shows character development. He would not have done that for the last 300 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that he, as a family, they pursued this together. Mm-hmm. Let's help free daddy from the <clears throat> dark one curse. And, and it wasn't just cleaving himself from the dagger because the whole point of that was he wanted to be able to have all the power. He wanted to be the power, be the power, be the power, be the power. <laughs> oh, that's right. And, I forgot about that. And not be controlled by the dagger. Right. Here, he wants to give up all that power. He wants to be mortal. He wants to die with her. And it even looked like he was willingly making himself look like he was aging. Because when they were on the bridge, I thought some of his hair looked a bit gray, too. Oh, well, it always was. Mm-hmm. I thought. Maybe. <laughs> or Robert Carlyle's just aged more since. But that's not really his hair anyway, so. <laughs> I also don't think that women's hair grows in gray in one perfect little stripe at a time. 
Well, maybe it does. I mean, there's got to be something enchanted about their lives. True. Bubble wands didn't sound very enchanted. Like, their lives were nice in Storybrooke, but they were also very, very normal. (laughs) Except for having a Polaroid camera. But then again, (laughs) and it was, it's hilarious to see the couple scenes where they're in some form of fairy tale land. And there's a Polaroid camera sitting there while Belle is doing her research in their big library. And the Polaroid camera is right there, that juxtaposition there. That. But awesome. then again, it makes total sense because a Polaroid camera is the only camera that would work away from the rest of technology. Yep. Oh, as long true. as you have enough power to actually power the flash or power the mechanics of the Polaroid. True. But a they bag didn't. of batteries wouldn't be much of a stretch for them to be carrying with them. Yeah. But that part's enchanted. But yeah, you don't need a dark room for film and you don't need like a computer or some other thing or a way to charge it or anything like that. Yeah. <gasps> I just realized Polaroids are the best cameras ever. We should all <laughs> stock up on Polaroids. They're like instant Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram IRL. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so this big thing that they dropped on us and also an implied big thing is there's this special guardian who can relieve Rumple of the dagger. It sounds like this guardian would have the power to take the dagger and somehow free Rumple from the Dark One curse without having to kill Rumple, and perhaps this being the final end to the Dark One power. Maybe. I, I, what Did Bell say anything about the guardian in the prophecy? No. No. Yeah, so that's kind of strange. Well, it must be that Rumple discovered this thing about the Guardian later. He buried her and then, like, found out did about some, the Guardian. Did some more research. I <laughs> failed Dark One 101 for the last six seasons. Was that a class? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If it were, <laughs> I failed. Oh. Um, what was the thing? Like, I thought last year there was, like, this Dark One thing about only one person has the strength or something to hold the darkness forever or something wasn't that a thing last year yeah that was merlin had said that perhaps there would be someday someone powerful enough to wield the dark magic and light magic uh, and which whatever <laughs> was that actually rumple because rumple was prophesied prophesized sorry to be the savior which that was a, a bomb that never really blew up. Well, it did blow up, but whatever. <laughs> but Before. so it seemed like maybe he was that one because the way that Once Upon a Time ended was when light and dark did the right thing, the final battle was defeated and Once Upon a Time ended. And now in the spinoff, we see <laughs> that he's given up the power. It's not controlling him anymore. Right. So this guardian, I think, is something, someone completely different from that person that was prophesized to wield all light and dark magic. They strongly implied it was Alice. You think so? Yes. Very much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he... That the guardian was Alice? Literally said he was leaving to the moment that she was waiting for him, even if she didn't know it yet. And he wound up right next to her ran into her yeah what if it was the rabbit though because there was the rabbit right there maybe the rabbit is the guardian maybe but why is it that rabbit 
It's, and it's bunnies. This, this, <laughs> bunnies. It's bunnies. All it must the way be down. bunnies. The this uh, this Alice seems to be a combination character of Alice, the White Rabbit, and the Mad Hatter. <laughs> True. She does. Seems right down to bad. wearing a Halloween mask of the White Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So she could also be Bad Wolf. Mm-hmm. Good point. <laughs> so you think she's maybe the Guardian? Uh, or what if the Guardian is someone else? Here's a theory from Andrea T. from Los Angeles, California. She said, I wonder if the Guardian is the woman that Victoria Belfry has trapped in the tower condos we in saw in Belfry. episode three. Yeah. <laughs> if this woman is so powerful that she could possibly bring back the dead. Let's call her the bat. <laughs> yes, the bat in the belfry. Then she is probably powerful enough to take the dark one darkness out of Rumpel. Maybe. But my impression of her is that she would want to become the next dark one. Or something. Maybe. Yeah, she's not to be trusted. She's no guardian. The woman in the tower? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't yet get that impression from her, but perhaps I'll come around to that. It, I would say... From what we know so far. She's cool, but she's classic once villain. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's either her or Alice that is the guardian. But here's the other question. They didn't explicitly say this or ask this in the episode, but I think this episode raises this question. Where is the dagger? In present day? Yeah. Good question. Does someone have it or is it hidden somewhere? Did he have it with him? I guess he would have brought it with him. Well, it seems like in Hyperion Heights, he is cursed just like everyone else. And it seems like maybe this whole thing was not his doing because he just he used Portal 2.0 to be able to get to Alice if she's the guardian And it seems like if he needed to somehow, for some reason, get to Seattle, he could have just portaled here. Portals, this is generations later, or almost generations. This is a generation later uh, with Once Upon a Time, basically. And we've already seen that Henry used a portal very easily to leave Storybrooke. And I think it's just safe to assume. Why do you say generations? Well, generation. I was exaggerating. It's It's 18 years. I don't know how long a generation is, but we'll say a generation is 18 years or we'll say it's nine years. So that way I can still say generations. That's the part of the timeline that doesn't really work. But because, yeah. And yeah, the others didn't age 18 years. Certainly he could be. He could be. Yeah. Because he has a daughter that is 10 years or so. Uh, So if he's 36, that could make sense. But what doesn't make sense is that Rumpel appeared in New Enchanted Forest when Henry was there going to the ball. And that was 18 years later. He, he did? Yeah. Because he showed up when uh, oh, Alice right, right, was right, like, right. oh boy, all of these weird people are coming for the but ball. But again, he went to the moment that right. she was waiting. Right. They did so that you're on, saying they maybe said he that on purpose. back into the past to do yes. that. Okay, maybe. Or at the very least... I don't know whether they said it to correct that part of the timeline or if they just wanted for the slow kids in the audience to (laughs) make sure they understood that, yes, he lived the rest of his life with Belle, but it was okay as far as the timeline goes. He was going to not very long after they went there. 
Of all of the things in the uh, this episode, this is the one place where they didn't... Hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, mainly... Yeah, the main problem being how long they lived as a family before going to the Edge of Realms. 18 years, it seems. Yeah, that's the part that's problematic, potentially. Because if he went to the moment in a time travel way, what does that mean for Gideon? Like, is there another rumple out there somewhere still raising Gideon with Bell because he went back in the timeline? Blah, blah, blah. That's why I think they want to avoid time travel so we don't start having conversations like that. Yeah. So Unless you build your show around time travel. Time right. travel gets really messy when you bring it into something. Right. <laughs> Unless you want to throw in some kind of donkey wheel, then it's okay. Lost did handle time travel better than anyone. <laughs> That's true. Well, Doctor Who handles it pretty well, too. Yeah, they have some issues. Pretty well, yeah. <laughs> I think as far as the curse goes, Rumple may not have had anything to do with it, and he may have been a victim of it, but much like the last curse, he clearly had foresight of it and took precautions to remember when he needed to. Because Tilly said that this is what he said to do so that he could remember to show him the cup. Yeah, and when you mention Tilly, let's bring her into this conversation, shifting this now to Hyperion Heights and Inspector Stoltzkin and Tilly. (laughs) There's definitely a connection between them. And it seems like if she is the guardian, it would make sense for when she caught Henry previously and... She said something about Rumpel has told me all about you, which, wait a minute, timeline-wise, that would be only a few hours or half a day since when Rumpel entered. That's, there's time for that. <laughs> Unless what we saw when Rumpel entered into New Enchanted Forest, that could have happened a few days before the ball. Right. I can understand that. Because she sounded like people had been showing up for the ball for a while. True. Yeah, it's not only today, it's they're getting in a little early. Okay, yeah, so then a few days is enough time for Rumpel to to say, it's your kids, Marty, we got to save your kids, <laughs> and then explain everything to Alice. But she she's the, I think, the most interesting new character in Once Upon a Time, and it's from a different perspective. She's fantastic. <laughs> when we first started the Once Upon a Time in Wonderland podcast— We did an episode that was like our greatest hopes for the series. One of mine was that we would have like the riddles and the the dialect and the sing-songy back and forth. And that didn't really happen in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. But it's happening now with her little, like she's just being very Alice. Like what's the point of an unsolvable puzzle? What's the point of a solvable one? Like that's very much, that's Wonderland. And that's what I really hoped to see in Once Wonderland. And as much as I loved that series... This is making me hmm. very happy. That's a good point. She's kind of more Wonderlandy and other places than <laughs> Wonderland was. Yeah. But why is it that she can be fully awake if not for her pills, whereas everyone else is not awake, or at least everyone that I we wondered know of. that too. But it it strikes me the same way as something from season one. Belle was. Who goodness, my memory. Bell was in the basement of the hospital, right? That's who right. Regina had awake. Yeah. And in the basement. So But well, was she, she awake? wasn't awake. She wasn't? No, because remember when sure Jefferson broke her out, he said, 
go find Rumpelstiltskin and told, tell him Regina did this to you. And it wasn't until Rumpel took Belle up to the the well and he dropped the true love potion in it and brought magic and the curse was broken. Well, actually, sorry, dropping the magic in had nothing to do with it. When Emma broke the curse, that's when Belle said Rumpel and, you know, that, that whole moment that was they had. Was she just in a haze? But it was... Because there wasn't... Uh, she was not both until Lacey. Right. And, so. and that was that was Regina's doing. But I think you're thinking maybe of David, who was no. kind of in a haze when he woke up until the windmill at Rumpel's shop. And then that put David back into his full I mean that is that's person. a good that's a good correlation as well. Um because but he was kind of an anomaly because I think for curse purposes he was sort of half dead, so <laughs> Oh, I remember it more clearly now. Okay. It was in well, season... Well, you're off your pills, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm actually on that. I know. I'm that too. I have a bad tooth thing going on right now, which if I sound a little bit weird, it's because of my teeth. But I remember now, in season two, it was Hook shot Bell. remember? Which pushed her across the line, and when she crossed she, the town line, yeah. she forgot who she was. So when they brought her back to Storybrooke when she was healed... I think, if I remember correctly, Regina also did something to kind of help in the process. And that's when she became Lacey after she woke up and got out of the hospital. Hmm. Because crossing the town line, she forgot everything. Yeah. I was mostly just thinking of intra-curse state. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I actually read, like, way back in season two, a fan fiction that was so much like this and it wasn't even posted a friend sent it to me so it's not like once read it and they're like this is great let's do this unless they're reading your email it was maybe they are reading my email and that's a little (laughs) bit creepy um because this is so similar except it was the last curse and it was like alice was um mad like it wonderland made everybody mad which is very wonderlandy And Alice was mad when the curse hit. And so when she woke up in Storybrooke, she was just still mad. And everyone just thought that she was was mad and needed to be medicated. And so that's how they they kept her from spilling the beans of the curse. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Where's this friend now? (laughs) Writing for the show? Maybe she works for Disney. She's a prophetess. <laughs> oh, okay, so here's a question for the Alice expert. Did she eat in the actual story? Did she eat sandwiches? Was that one of the things that made her small? No, I think she just ate like cookies. I remember, okay, see, I remember mushrooms and I remember... And a potion. It was like but a I'm cake. mostly familiar with the animated Disney versions. So. There, yeah. there was an eat me... And a drink me. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out if the sandwich, since that's basically what it did, and I hadn't even thought about it until just now. And inside the sandwich was orange marmalade. It was cookies and cake. I thought the smashed up pills in the sandwich were a little far-fetched, but I think that it was also very Wonderland for her to get tricked into eating something that, as she put it, made her small. Yeah, I loved that symbolism. But that moment, seeing her open it up and realize that she'd been forced to take those pills and seeing her face. Oh. It was, yeah, it was like, oh, 
My heart broke. (laughs) This great character that's so diverse. She's kind of like the new Rumpelstiltskin in the way that she's very diverse and you don't really know what we're going to get from her, which makes her very entertaining. I'm curious how even just with her memories coming back, how she knows so much Mm. enough to mention the man behind the beast and all of that. Well, it seems like she's not been taking her medication for a little while. Sure. But like, how did she ever know that? How did she know Rumpelstiltskin that well? Well, and how did he know that she was going to remember? Oh, maybe she read the book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, he clearly knew that she was going to not be cursed or that she was going to have these memories somehow, because otherwise, why wouldn't he have just written his name in squid ink a thousand times instead of (laughs) like getting her to show him the cup? True. That confused me a little bit, too. So that would tell me that he knew this curse was coming, but maybe he had, he had nothing to do with it. But somehow he could protect her. Because if, if she's the guardian, she might have been able to protect herself. But he is apparently still the dark one because he could get shot and recover from it. He's still immortal. And he knows it now. <laughs> yeah, and that's why he's kind of angry. Um, can we talk about his deary and how... It meant nothing to Belfry at all. Like, I thought that was going to be the indicator that she she found out that he remembered. Because that was the indicator to us that he remembered. So uh, she's super confusing. (laughs) And it seemed like his test for her. Because he he said it very deliberately. And then she just reacted like, okay, whatever. I thought he was trying to send her a message, but... Well, he changed tone after that. Then it was more like, well, I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I don't. If it weren't for the weird thing about the tower and finding her daughter buried under Seattle, I would swear she's not awake. That's true. And Maybe. referring to Cinderella as Cinderella. Yeah. Well, and no, all of that did stuff. She, did she really? She did. Know? Yep. Yeah, that's true. When? In the scene with the guardian. (laughs) With the the guardian, listen to you. In the scene with the lady in the The tower, she said Cinderella and she said Henry's daughter. Yeah, she she did lay it all out, I guess. That's so strange. Then she's she's played it real weird in the town. Then what that makes me think is she doesn't know who Rumpel really is. She seems to have gotten herself into something she doesn't understand. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Oh, wait, but she didn't. Oh, it wasn't. Okay, now I'm trying to remember like two episodes ago. She knew Hook, not Rumpel. Right. Yeah. I was thinking she knew Rumpel. Okay, so that makes way more sense. (laughs) The one that we're watching now, somehow. Right. Okay, but she didn't know Rumpel. We haven't seen that before. Right. She doesn't necessarily know Regina. Or Rumple, she did digging of some sort to find out who Henry was. Mm -hmm. And she should know actually who Regina is because of the I'm his mother moment. Yeah, true. You tend not to forget the face of someone who magics you across the room. (laughs) Well, no, that was uh, (laughs) Drizella. Yes, I got it right. She did that to Drizella? Good job, Daniel. Because Lady Tremaine said, you know, kill him. And right. Drizella's like, you think I'm pretty, but ha, 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 I'm going to kill you. 
uh, which we'll get to talking about Drizella and her what she thinks a little bit later <laughs> because there's an interesting theory about that. <laughs> That's funny, but I, I'm really thinking that. Victoria doesn't know who Rumpel is. And so that's why he's all like, I found something bigger and I'm not going to tell you because he knows she doesn't know who he is, even though she's awake. Well, I also believed her. Who are you to Tilly? She doesn't know who she is either. She only knew the connection to Rumpel because of his business card in her backpack. And she knew the doctor to call because she had a prescription bottle in the backpack. Very true. She didn't Very really true. know who she was until she dug through the backpack. Which makes it seem more and more like Victoria may not have been the one to cast this curse. Or at least yeah. she's not truly in control. The bat in the Belfry is probably in control. Maybe. What did she say to Weaver about that wasn't our arrangement? Or did he say that? That just reminded me of season one when Rumpelstiltskin and Regina had the deal that if he said please... She had to do what he said. Hmm. And that was agreed oh, yeah. upon before the curse. I forgot that. That was a fun moment. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. The arrangement, talking about arrangement and stuff like that, makes me think that when this curse was cast, maybe Rumple just playing the part of a regular peasant and maybe with a little bit of knowledge said, hey, just put me and my friend here in a good position or just whatever, and I'll, I'll work for you, this will be our arrangement that I'll be working for you. And then things start happening. Things. Bad things. Yeah. <laughs> she could have very easily made a deal with him without knowing who he was. Yeah. Especially and, since he's from another realm. Mm-hmm. And apparently Wish Realm Rumple is not running around wrecking havoc, at least not in a real realm. <laughs> He's Nothing doing that in of. a fake real realm somehow, unless he somehow got out. Let's not think about that. We don't want to dwell on such weird thoughts like that. Because imagine season eight. good rumple versus bad rumple. <laughs> Two dark ones of the same flavor. Not, not a good situation. <laughs> but once upon wow. a time opened up that can of wor- monkeys. So, whoa. Yeah. That just, and worms just turned into monkeys. <laughs> that was amazing too. <laughs> And hey, you know what else would be amazing is if you go to Creation Entertainment's Once Upon a Time convention. The next one is coming up November 3rd through the 5th in Burbank, California, and you will want to be there for this. Just listen to this totally awesome voiceover. The official Once Upon a Time convention comes to Burbank November 3rd through 5th with Lana Perea, Jennifer Morrison, Colin O'Donoghue, and Rebecca Mater. See them live at the Marriott Burbank Airport Hotel. Visit onceuponatimeconvention.com for details. Doesn't that just make you want to go? It should. Because onceuponatimeconvention.com or creationent.com is Creation Entertainment's official convention for Once Upon a Time. You get to hang out with the cast like Lana Perea, Jennifer Morrison, Rebecca Mader, Colin O'Donoghue, Emily DeRaven, Lee Ehrenberg, Gil McKinney, Beverly Elliott, Chris Gothier, Michael Coleman, and Raphael Sabarge. You get to attend sessions, and none of this having to wait in line hoping you make it into a session. You get everything. 
you pay for. You are guaranteed seats into the sessions and events that you pay for. So there are these great opportunities to meet some of the cast or attend different panels to have some fun with the cast too. Like you can sing with them as your backup singers. You can get signatures and photos. You can attend other sessions. We will even be at one of the upcoming Once Upon a Time conventions. We can't make it to this one in Burbank, but we hope you can too. So go to creationent.com to check out the schedule for the upcoming Once Upon a Time convention or the schedule for the other upcoming Once Upon a Time conventions. We'd love for you to go. And when you do, you can be our correspondent. Send us photos, send us videos, send us sound clips. Tell us your highlights from the Once Upon a Time convention. It's an amazing opportunity to meet some of the cast. And especially like Emily Duravin, now that you've seen this amazing episode Wouldn't it just be so much fun to ask her a bunch of questions now that her storyline is essentially done? You could ask her things about, okay, now that your character is gone from the show, what was your favorite thing? Or what did the writers tell you in the beginning when they hired you for this role? What did you think about Once Upon a Time? What was it like to be aged so quickly in an episode? What did that feel like? What did you think when you looked at yourself in the mirror after they put on the makeup? You can ask fun questions like that. There are other opportunities so watch the hashtag O-U-A-T Burbank on right. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect over at creationent.com to attend the Once Upon a Time official convention. You will not regret it. You will regret not making it to one of these conventions. So make sure you get your ticket over at creationent.com. And thank you, Creation Entertainment, for your support. That was the best old makeup I think I've ever seen. It was really good. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. It was like <laughs> not too much, not too little. It's like, I think that might actually be what she looks like when she gets old. <laughs> Say to her, you age really well. <laughs> Something that WWO in the chat room just reminded me of is that when Tilly was talking about her pills, she referred to them as Victoria's pills. Mm, yeah. So I wonder if there is some more backstory to that or if she just meant that because she knows that victoria asked uh weaver to give them to her could be yeah maybe victoria's just really really good at being conniving well there's a really interesting connection here that makes me also think alice isn't only the guardian she is also wish hicks daughter i know we've talked about this before but after this episode i'm convinced Here's some feedback from Lindsay saying this episode had some clues that Alice is Wishhook's daughter. It wasn't a coincidence that when Weaver and Rogers were talking about Tilly, Weaver mentions that Roger has been on the case of the lost girl, you know, we've uh, Roger's daughter. Then there was the obvious chess piece. So who's the vengeful witch that locked her up? Don't you think it's another queen of hearts? Obviously not. Because after all, we could have another Queen of Hearts. But the chess piece, oh, she was there I playing about chess. The chess piece yeah. entirely. So she was playing chess outside of the hospital room, and Wishhook comes over and makes a chess move. He moves the black rook in front of the white knight. Back in episode 702, um, A Pirate's Life, that's when Wishhook said that he has his daughter's rook and she has his night oh wow so the fact that just the way they shot it 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 makes it obvious to me 
That's his daughter. Okay. I looked at the chat room when we were watching. I was watching live, and everybody's just going, so she's Hook's daughter? I'm like, what are you? Yeah, where are you getting that? Who is Hook's daughter? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, that makes sense. And WWO in the chat is bringing up, well, what about the age difference? And I think it makes sense because, remember, Wish Hook is older. It's once upon a time. Yeah, <laughs> it's once upon a time. But Wish Hook is older. He was aged back because of that little potion with maybe some squid ink mixed into it that Victoria then used on him back in New Enchanted Forest. Right. So he is actually older than he looks, which then again, Hook has always been older than he looks, but we mean he's even older than the older that he isn't, that he doesn't look like. (laughs) Right. And he's seemingly been looking for her long enough that she could have aged to be like, she's clearly still a kid air quote. Like I would say she's a teenager ish. Really? Like, an elite teenager, but still, I would say uh, she's. I would say she's young, at least. Yeah, I probably would have put her early twenties. Early twenties, late teens, somewhere around there, probably. Yeah. And so, if he's been looking for her long enough that she's gotten that old, not that she's old, but grown up that much. Yeah. That would work. Keeper of Squid Ink actually had a theory that maybe Alice is actually Belle in some kind of reincarnated form. <laughs> No, but no, I, I can't you. really see that being happening. <laughs> Sorry, no. However, there was a moment in her very first scene that I thought it was Belle when she was up on the roof in Hyperion Heights. Hmm. For a second, I was like, what is going on with Belle? Oh, it's not Belle. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Belle has played a kind of crazy, deranged woman before. That must be. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> Watch Lost, and you'll understand. <laughs> so, Victoria Belfry doesn't seem to be awake, or half awake, kind of unaware of what she's actually gotten herself into, but it seems like Alice was saying, or Tilly, was saying that the reason Victoria wants to spread everyone out is because when they're together, they'll be more powerful, and if they're all together... Then they'll remember. Well, if true love's kiss breaks any curse, it doesn't have to be true love between the two people that the curse says it has to be, right? Right. Because after all, it was Emma's true love's kiss on Henry's forehead that broke the curse. And I keep kissing my son on the forehead and there are no curses breaking. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. Do you suspect a curse of some kind? When I change his diapers, sometimes I do. (laughs) (laughs) You you kiss him on the forehead, diapers clean. It's all good. I wish. I wish. It doesn't work that way, though. (laughs) I thought it would, but no. But I'm trying to think of things that weakened the curse, the original curse. Like Emma kissing Graham weakened the curse, but didn't break it. Yeah, weakened the curse on him. On him only. But Sometimes maybe she's they, worried about things like that. I think they regret some of the kissing in season one. I mean, remember <laughs> how it sure wasn't taking them their whole lives to figure out how to break Rumpel's curse in season one. True love's kiss and he was starting to change. Yeah. Like, why did that never work again? Oh, because you regret that decision. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also when Emma made the decision to stay in Storybrooke that the clock ticked 
And it was when she became sheriff that the earthquake happened and the mines underneath the Hyperion Heights, I mean, underneath the what future parking lot then <laughs> broke open. Uh, here in Hyperion Heights, we haven't seen earth shattering things really happen because of the curse. The only thing we've really seen happen because of the weakening of the curse is flowers growing. And somebody well, informed her of them. Yeah. And that's Don't. even not necessarily having anything to do with the curse and having more to do with Lucy wishing in the wishing well. Yeah. And it was Lucy who gave the flowers to her grandmother. Because the little note said, uh, these started growing up around town. I thought you'd like to see them uh, regularly because they're so pretty. Oh, the, I guess note. I never got that far in the note. Both times I saw it, I thought it was kind of like, I thought you'd want to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these started growing yesterday. thought you'd want to know. But then again, it makes sense for dot, Lucy dot, to be dot. like, Grandma, you should see these pretty flowers. You should know that these are growing now in the gardens. They're, <laughs> the gardens aren't dead. That's why you need does to not she, bulldoze it. Does Pave she it. tell <laughs> Victoria that she thinks she's the evil stepmother? Like, because Henry was pretty clear to Regina, I think you're the evil queen. Because she said, do you really think I'm capable of doing something so evil? And he said, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't see any interaction, really, between Lucy and her step-grandmother. That's true. Uh, now, she... She does seem to think her step-grandmother is someone bad, but... Hmm. Yeah, so why would she give her the flowers? But then again, it also seems like Victoria knows that Lucy could be trouble, but she she has to be trouble in order to destroy everything she loves most in order to bring back Anastasia. That part's convoluted. I choose to not yeah. think about that part right now. I'm still hoping they'll... Like, you know, show us the fine print on that one at some point. Speaking of fine print, you know who reads every piece of fine print and gladly signs at the dotted line? Not to give away the village, but they would for us. It's our wonderful heroes. And for this episode, I'd like to thank Lisa Slack, Amy Cavalier, and our 23 heroes on Patreon. Their kind support of the podcast keeps it going episode after episode. It pays for the website hosting, the podcast hosting, which, yes, those are actually two different things, pays for all the plugins and software we have to use in order to run the site, pays for things like buying the episodes from iTunes so that we can download them, get the screenshots, get sound clips here and there be able to re-watch the episodes since we can't always watch them live on Friday nights. And that's with your wonderful support. You can be one of our amazing heroes. That's over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. If you'd like to become a hero, it can be as little as a dollar per month. But think about what is the podcast worth to you? What value do we bring to you? How much do we make you laugh? I mean, you could think about maybe it would be a penny per minute of the podcast and then extrapolate that into how much it would be per month but you can check out your options over at oncepodcast.com slash hero every little bit helps and we really appreciate that support so thanks lisa and amy for supporting us for this episode you'll hear even more people in our next episode which will be the first episode of the new month so if you want your name mentioned get over there to oncepodcast.com slash hero and be one of our wonderful amazing heroes just like that wonderful, amazing, beautiful flower that's starting to grow in the garden. You can be that flower to us. That's at oncepodcast.com slash heroes. Speaking of flowers, let's talk about ivy. 
or drizella. That has nothing to do with flowers. Flowers grow on ivy. I mean, no. Flowers grow around ivy. Shh. Okay. Poison cool. ivy. <laughs> That's what we'll call her. Poison <laughs> ivy. Is this the first time we've heard her name? This is the first time I remember hearing her name. I think so. I actually I just it's... thought that her curse name was Drizella. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said it last week in the chat. Might have been in the credits somewhere in writing. Uh, I think actually someone did say there was a name in the press release, but we never heard that name in the episode. Now I've forgotten what name it was. It might have been Ivy's name. One we... of my questions got answered. Maybe it had been answered before, but we know for sure that even though she refers to Victoria Belfry as Victoria Belfry sometimes, she does know that it's her mother. Yeah, and she's desperately seeking her approval. Little too desperately, if you ask me. And they are definitely sisters, her and Cinderella, or her and Jacinda, because that sister, that got scrappy a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what's going on with her and Henry and the drinks? Right? One person in her entire life has actually listened to her and shown her some consideration. And, of course, she instantly went head over heels for him. Slash gets to maybe hurt Jacinda in the process. So, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's pretty all textbook, there is to actually. Yeah. I thought it was kind of hilarious how transparent they were about the whole thing. (laughs) And let me catch my mother doing something that makes you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, no pretense there whatsoever. (laughs) She did have great lines. Oh, my goodness. So many. (laughs) I liked the exile you to Canada. (laughs) Are they still? They're still filming in Canada, right? Even though they're not in Steveston. Yeah, they are still filming in Canada. In fact, some of the locations where they've shot are actually locations they've used before in Once Upon a Time. They're just decorated a little bit differently, really? like parks oh, okay. and some of the outdoor scenes. Really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, Aaron, for that they offended you in Canada. Unless you want her exiled to Canada, and then you guys can be best buds. Who wouldn't want to live in Canada? That's what I thought. Cricket, eh? <laughs> Cricket, eh? <laughs> Fictional Canada, too. (laughs) Yes. Man, was she making eyes at Henry, though. Like, not just, hey, let's have a drink together. But the whole, she didn't take her eyes off of him while she was drinking. And just (laughs) the way she looked at him and that look and then the screen cuts to black makes me think she is really trying to manipulate things. And she did, after all, say... It's time I think about myself. Yeah, I don't think it was super intentional. I think it's just whatever. But at least in her case, once again, just like season one, I mean, it's a little bit like season one. She doesn't know that he's actually married. Yeah. Hashtag we were cursed. Right. (laughs) I hope that goes nowhere because... Just like season one, that's part I'm really just not interested in. We know that it's bogus because they're cursed, and we know it's going away no matter what happens now, so let's not spend a lot of time on it. There's enough happening that all is borderline doesn't matter in Hyperion Heights because it's all just not their life. So, yeah. They've done a pretty good job not creating a lot of drama around things that are only the result of the curse. 
what if Drizella is actually the one who cast the curse? And does she seem capable? No. Well, think about this, though. Whoever cast this curse did a kind of weird job of it. There are things about this curse that are a little bit out of the ordinary. And what if, since Drizella is so eager, even anxious, for her mother's approval, she discovers, oh, there's this curse that we might be able to use in order to bring back Anastasia, and I want to make right this wrong. And so, therefore, she enacts the curse, doesn't really know what she's doing. How does that help bring back Anastasia? Yeah, I don't know. We'll discover that soon. I mean, after all, <laughs> why? I mean, that is a big question, though. Why this curse? Why did they have to cast this curse in order to bring back Anastasia? They had nothing to do with it. Perhaps. it's They're just caught up in it, too. But why Belfry's awake, I don't know. Maybe she woke up some other way, and she's hiding from everyone that she's awake, not because she cast the curse, but because she doesn't know who cast the curse, and she's still hiding. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how to accomplish her goals while she maybe tries to figure out what's going on as well. So like season three. <laughs> <laughs> she might be trying to figure out how to break it too. With uh, with Green Lady. Oh, forgot her name. Zelina. Yes, yeah, Zelina. Green Lady. Wow. <laughs> That's not offensive at all. I feel really bad that I'm stumbling over things that I used to be able to rattle off. For I mean, in my sleep, about once upon a time, it's your just, pain pills are making you small. Yes. <laughs> they are. So back in season three, it was Zelina who cast the curse. You shouldn't and have put she, so many in your sandwich. She kept it a secret that she cast the curse. Oh right. And she played along with everyone trying to figure out who it was and shifting the blame on someone else. But that doesn't mean. That we're going to have something exactly like that here in Hyperion Heights. Right. Well, because this yeah, curse seems so different, just even in that it's not in Storybrooke or even a secluded area of our our world. And this even goes back to why was the curse even necessary at all? I mean, maybe, yes, part of it was someone wanted to get revenge on someone else. But we've already seen travel between the realms is super easy. And in the past, that was the reason curses were cast, except in the case of Peter Pan casting the curse. He wanted to build the new story, uh, the, the new Neverland on top of Storybrooke. But then Regina transformed the curse while it was being cast. She transformed yeah. it into the curse that then took everyone back to Neverland right. or back to uh, Enchanted Forest while Emma and Henry left Storybrooke. You know, that first time that Once Upon a Time ended. <laughs> right. right, right. <laughs> I think they implied, though, that they need, like, they need Lucy to wake up Anastasia because Henry is protected. And so maybe casting this curse is the only way that they can get Lucy to, what was the word? Give up, willingly give up her belief. Up her belief. Yeah. Destroy everything she holds dear in some way said something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it may be way simpler than what we're <laughs> giving them credit for, but I mean that's okay too. It's definitely a lot less straightforward than in season 1 where we knew that it was Regina and we knew why. Yeah. And then they still backtracked and made it convoluted and they made the fail safe and they made 
true love's potion added with the hairs and Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> actually orchestrating all of it. But that worked then. I think they knew that the whole time. Yeah, I never got the feeling that season one ended differently than they wanted it to in the beginning, personally. Yeah, I agree. Well, this wraps up our discussion about this episode, Beauty. If you want to continue the discussion, please join our forums over at oncepodcast.com slash forums. You can also connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast and send us your feedback for future episodes of Once Upon a Time. Go to oncepodcast.com slash feedback for all of your options over there. You can send us voice message, email us, call and leave a voicemail any time of the day. All of your feedback options are over there, oncepodcast.com slash feedback. And make sure if you email us, put the name of the episode in the subject line of the email, and that helps to show up a little bit better for us. And that's at oncepodcast.com slash feedback. If you enjoyed this episode of our podcast and you think someone else should listen to it too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash 311 and share it out with your family and friends. And connect with each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without the generosity of our wonderful heroes and our great team behind us. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding the timeline, and Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline co-hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, are you done begging for candy? Can we go home? I stepped in pumpkin vomit, and these shoes are worth more than your life. Okay. And thanks for listening. <laughs> Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you want to be one of those amazing heroes too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.